we are in Matthew 27, and we are looking at verses 27 through 54. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1547. And I think the words will be on the screen for you as well. Matthew 27, verses 27 through 54. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Thus ends our reading of God's holy word. May all who hear it look to the cross and find salvation. We have now reached a crucial 
moment in Matthew's gospel and really a, a crucial moment in all of Scripture. The crucifixion of our Lord. Over the past six weeks, we, we have seen things that are necessary for God's redemptive plan of salvation. Things that are essential in order for God to rescue mankind from their sins. And what, what we will witness today, though, it might be the most vital of them all. Th think of it as the engine that drives the car forward. I mean, thus far we have seen the necessity for it to be God's will and not man's to, to rescue the, those he loves. And we've also seen the necessity of a new covenant as the, as the old covenant was unable to save anyone. And then we saw that it was necessary for us to have a submissive Savior as Jesus yielded to his Father's will and was willing to drink the cup of his Father's wrath. And then we saw the necessity of a condemned Savior as Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin and was found guilty, guilty of the charge of being the Christ, the Son of God. This sin led to the stories of Peter and Judas as each one had betrayed their master and were feeling the enormous weight of their sins. And that is why it is necessary that, there, that we also have a forgiving Savior, one who can lift those burdens that each and every one of us have. And then last time we saw Jesus being rejected by his own people. Even though Pilate had thoroughly demonstrated to the crowds that Jesus was an innocent man. And yet it was necessary for Christ to be rejected. In order that we as God's people can find acceptance with him. And all this leads us to today. Where we see another necessity and a crucial one at that. The necessity of a crucified Savior. Jesus must pay the penalty for man's sins if there's ever to be that restored relationship between God and man. Listen, what we are about to witness today is humanity at its worst. For this is, this is more than just murder. This is a vile, vile hatred for God himself. A hatred that says murder isn't enough. We're going to see both torture and, and mocking. We will see the reviling of our Lord. And all because he embodies within himself all that we have come to resent and to hate. And as we'll see, these, these acts of cruelty, they, they come from everyone. There is no one who is innocent in this story apart from Christ. And yet what we will also see in their mocking and in their derision is a bit of irony, irony from God. For in the midst of these wicked, wicked deeds, these, these people, not, they not only reveal their, their, their vile hearts, but they also reveal the truth about who Jesus truly is. And we'll also see the fulfillment of Scripture. There's a reason I chose Psalm 22 as our first Scripture reading. 
And we're going to see Psalm 22 played out in our passage. And finally, we'll, we'll, we'll witness one more thing of vital, vital importance. One more thing that our Lord had to endure. A suffering that is far worse than, than anything any human could ever inflict. For we will witness what it is like to be forsaken by God. So let's not waste any more time. Let's, let's dive right in. Let's look at our first verses. Look at verses 27 through 30. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and, and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and, and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. Now, if you recall from last time, our very last verse from, from the previous sermon, Jesus had already been flogged. And if you don't know what flogging is, well, I'm about to explain it to you. It is a whipping. He, he had been whipped. He received 40 lashes minus one. So 39 blows. And these were blows on his back. And so he, his back would have been very bruised and very bloody. But now, now that Jesus had been sentenced to death, these Roman soldiers, they were going to have their fun. The whole lot of them, they, they surrounded our Lord in order to mock him in this twisted, twisted game that they were playing. This Jesus who had claimed to be the king of the Jews would now be ridiculed for that claim. And so what did they do? They, they stripped him naked and then they dressed him in one of their Roman capes, pretending that it was some kind of royal garment. They then twisted together this crown of thorns and then they, and they forced it into his skull. And then they gave him a staff to hold on to as if it was a, a royal scepter. They, 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 they wanted Jesus to look the part. And then in their derision and in their mockery, they kneeled before him and, and cried out, Hail, King of the Jews! And yet the honor that they showed him was to spit in his face and to strike him in his head over and over again with the very scepter that they had given to him. And this is exactly what King David foresaw in our psalm for today. Look at, look at Psalm 22, verses 12 and 13. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. These bulls, these lions that surrounded our Lord were out for blood. They called him the king of the Jews and then they spit in his face. And yet their mocking words spoke a truth that was far, far deeper than they knew. For not only does he have royal blood? But he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet this one who was now standing before them, naked, bloodied, and bruised, 
He took every blow and every mocking insult in order that his subjects, his people, would not have to. But that's just the beginning of his journey to the cross. Look at verses 31 through 33. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put, uh, put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Here we see the, the march of our Lord. He was now moving in the opposite direction that he had on Palm Sunday. Instead of being welcomed into the city with shouts of Hosanna, he was now driven out by these Roman soldiers like some wretched animal. And he was forced to carry his own cross, which was just another demonstration of the people's rejection of their king. Like a, like a shamed criminal, Jesus was banished from their city. And yet, Jesus could only make it so far before he collapsed. Having been flogged and, and beaten, he no longer had the strength to carry the cross further. And so this Simon from Cyrene had to finish the job for him as they went to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Psalm 22, verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. Being humiliated as he left his city, Christ now came to Calvary, which also, by the way, means skull. This is the place where dead men go, where, where the rejected of the world are just tossed and thrown away. And yet it is also the place where, where we will soon see where the hidden glory of God shines the brightest. Let's read further. Look at verses 34 and 35. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. This wine mixed with gall that they offered to our king, it was there for two reasons. One, it would act as a numbing agent in order for the man who was about to be crucified to escape some of the pain that he was about to endure. And yet it was also a, another form of mockery on behalf of these soldiers. You see, the gall that they, they, that they mixed in with it would make it taste bitter, would make it taste horrendous. And any who, who had the nerve to drink it would, would gag in the process. It was just one more point of amusement for these Roman soldiers. And yet our Lord refused any such drink as he desired to keep his wits about him. He, he wanted to experience the full sense of the pain that he was about to endure for the sake of those he loved. 
And yet, as if dying on the cross wasn't enough, the, the other thing that these soldiers would do would be to strip their victim of all their garments, taking away any modesty that the man may have had. They would crucify him naked. And this, this was just one more way that they could shame and humiliate him. And this is why we see these Roman soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothing. Again, this is right out of Psalm 22. Look at verses 17 and 18. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Well, after they had stripped him, they then stretched out his arms and pounded in the nails. And they did the same for his feet. Each stroke of the hammer like a shockwave to the nerves. And once he was fastened in place, they would then lift him up only to have that wooden beam drop into a hole where the weight of our Lord's body would, would create this jarring shock upon the wounds in both his wrists and his feet. Look at verse 16 of our psalm. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Dear friends, crucifixion is one of the most torturous, torturous ways that a man can be killed. The victim, he would be, he would be up there for hours while his blood slowly drained from his wounds. And while he was up there, he, he would experience these convulsions due, due to his body weight pressing down on his, on his chest cavity. This would limit the amount of air that, that his lungs would be able to take in. And when these convulsions occurred, this, this crucified man, he would, he would then have to pull himself up, intensifying the pain upon his wrists and his feet in order to breathe. He would have to do this if he wanted to take a breath. He had no other choice. But this pressure that was on his chest, it would also affect the man's heart as well, making compressions that much more difficult. And this is what David also saw in our psalm. Look at, look at verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. Ultimately, death would come through either suffocation, cardiac arrest, or from a loss of blood. But beyond the pain would come the shame of the whole thing. Today, we, we wear crosses around our necks, and we have them imprinted on our Bibles. We, they, they, they shine brightly in our churches and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing these things, for they are good reminders to us of what it took for our sins to be forgiven. But, but the, the danger of this practice is that we tend to make it pretty. 
and thus lose the significance that the cross truly had. You see, during the time of Jesus, crucifixion was universally looked upon with terror. It was a horror show. People would have nightmares and wake up in deep sweats simply because they, they, they had dreamt that they were being crucified. And that is why Caesar, he, he would never allow any Roman citizen to be punished so horrendously. Only, only the worst offenders and then, and then that of the lowest class could be crucified. And for the Jews, they, they had a special abhorrence to such a fate. Look at Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. If a man guilty of a capital offense is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. And that's just it. Because he was crucified. Because he was hung from that tree, Christ was cursed. He took upon our curse, the curse of man's sin. Sin that originated with Adam and Eve. That's what he was doing up on that cross. Let's look a little further. Look at verses 36 and 37. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Here we see this sign that Pilate had placed above Jesus' head. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, what is this sign? These, these signs were typically made of white boards, and the inscription would have stood out because the, the, the letters were written either red or black letters. And what they did is that this sign would indicate the crime that the criminal had committed in order to make a point to the people that this is what your fate will be if you ever try the same thing. You want to be up there on that cross? Go ahead and do what that person did. But what was the crime of our Lord? That he was the king of the Jews. Now you can be certain that when Pilate wrote this, he, he wrote it to get under the skin of the Jewish high council. For, for this was the charge that they had brought to him. You see, not only is Pilate mocking Jesus, look, here's your Messiah. See how powerful he is? Go ahead, bow down to your king. Not only is he mocking Jesus, but he is mocking these religious leaders as well. You, you brought to me this innocent man and forced my hand. Well, here you go. Let him be your king. Let him be your Messiah, for this is the closest thing that you will ever, ever see to a true Jewish king. Psalm 22, verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. 
Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. But the mockery and the shame that came Jesus' way, it didn't only come from the Romans. Let's read further. Look at, look at verses 38 through 44. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Here we see a few different things. First, there were the, the, the passerbys, right? Those who were coming in and out of the city. These were your everyday Jews. Farmers and shepherds and sellers at the market. And then there were the the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders. The religious elite. Those who who comprised the Sanhedrin. the, The very ones who had arrested Jesus. Put him on trial. And then handed him over to Pilate to be crucified. And then finally we see two criminals. One on his right, one on his left. These were the lowest of the low. Men who were facing the same shameful death that Jesus was. And yet all these people had one thing in common. They were all mocking and shaming our Lord. Again, this is fulfillment to Psalm 22. Look at verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. First, we see the everyday man saying these words. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. Once again, the the people who said this had had taken Jesus' words and, and twisted them. For they didn't realize was what they didn't realize was that the temple that Jesus was referring to was his own body. They they didn't see that Jesus was currently in the process of having that temple be destroyed. Instead, they, they told him, come down from the cross in order to prove that you are the Son of God. And yet the proof that they were looking for would only come if Jesus would remain. For he needed to die in order to fulfill his words. For in three days, he would rebuild that temple. And then we have the religious elite, right? The leaders who cried out this. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. These cutting remarks had to be particularly hard to hear. For, for it was true, Jesus had saved others. And, and he knew that at any moment he, he could do exactly what they were telling him to do. 
He could have easily stepped down from that cross in a demonstration of his divine power and glory. And yet the only way that he could truly save others was if he didn't save himself. And then I also find it interesting that these men said that that they would believe in him if, if he would just come down from that cross right then and right there. As if their failure to have faith beforehand was somehow his fault. As if he hadn't already shown himself to be the Messiah through all the saving works that they had just referenced. And yet, if Jesus did step down from that cross, if, if, if he did come, come off of it, then there would be nothing good to, to, to believe in anyways. Because there would be no blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. There'd be no ransom paid for the many, no removal of the curse, no strife by which we are healed, no fulfillment of the scriptures, and no good news of the kingdom to be proclaimed to the nations. Yes, if, if Jesus had stepped down from that cross, then these religious leaders would have nothing good to put their faith in anyways. But there's, there's one more thing that these mocking men said. They, they said, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Again, this is a reference to Psalm 22. Look at verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You see, these, these men were purpose, purposefully quoting this psalm as a way of letting Jesus know that God did not delight in him. And yet the irony is, is that they were fulfilling the very prophecy that pointed to Jesus as a Messiah. For this psalm predicted that Jesus would be mocked with these very words. And finally, we, we come to the criminals, right? The, the insurrectionists, those who had been nailed to their own crosses. They too joined in the fun as they heaped insults upon our Lord. And so we see it is true that, that all men despised Jesus. The Romans, the religious elite, the everyday man, and the lowest of the low. And yet our Lord would take all of it, all of the shame, all of the degradation in order to save others and not himself. And but as terrible as this mockery was and as excruciating was his physical pain, I think what we witness next is even more horrific. Look at, look at verses 45 and 46. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness came over all the land. And the cause of this darkness was God himself. For three hours, it was as if the sun had never risen. 
This, this darkness, it was a signal of doom. It was an omen of judgment. It was the loss of the light of the Father. The loss of that, that first creative act when God had spoken and said, let there be light. It was the deep, deep wrath of God that had fallen upon that place. And his focal point was upon that man who was nailed to that cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cup of God's wrath had now fallen upon Jesus. And that's why he quoted our, the, the first verse in that psalm today. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. This is a, is a suffering that in the Garden of Gethsemane made the soul of our Lord become overwhelmed with sorrow. Sorrow to the point of death. This is the anguish that caused him to lay prostrate with his face to the ground as if in agony. This is the woe that, that brought forth these words from his mouth. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yes, the physical pain was horrific. Yes, the, the, the shame that he endured had to sting. But it was this moment, these three hours of darkness, this moment when the father had turned his face away, this was the moment that Jesus dreaded the most. And now that moment was upon him. And that is why he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we read this in verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. In this last agonizing scream, Jesus gives up his life and thus completes the crucifixion of our Lord. But why this trial? Why this display of horror? Why all the physical torture? Why all the, all the mockery and the shame of it all? Why the curse of the Father as he forsook his Son? And why the giving up of his own life? The answer is simple. So that you, so that I, wouldn't have to endure such things. So that those who are far off because of their sins, so that those who, who have been separated from their creator, so that when these lost souls, when they look to the cross, when they look to their crucified king, they will find salvation. They will find redemption. Redemption from the curse that they are under. That is why our Lord had to suffer in this way. That is why he had to be crucified. 
He is that atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is no other way. Look at our last verses. Look at verses 51 through 54. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and and the bodies of many holy people who had died were, were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This, this is what the crucifixion of Jesus Christ brought about. This is what the death of our Lord caused. First, the, the, the curtain of the temple, it was, it was torn in two. This thick and massive wall of separation had now been made into a doorway. This 60-foot high screen, it, it ripped from the top all the way down to the bottom, giving free access into the throne room of God. Second, the earth shook and the rocks split. Creation, which had been groaning because of the curse, the curse brought about by man, was now being reshaped as the new heavens and the new earth are now fast approaching. Third, the tombs broke open and the dead were raised. This is the first inkling of Christ's victory over death. The curse that was upon Adam was now being reversed as life eternal is given to those who call Jesus their Lord and Savior. And finally, we see the faith of these Roman centurions as they cried out, Surely he was the Son of God. And in that cry, we see that salvation is not just for the Jews, but for all men. For any who put their trust in this one who died for them. This one who was crucified for them. And now all these things are offered to you as well. Simply because Jesus, he chose to stay on that cross. And this, this my friends, is the hidden glory of our Lord. Jesus, our crucified Savior, is now glorified through his suffering. And that's what we see at the end of our psalm as well. Christ glorified. Look at verses 27 through 31. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. He has 
done it. It is finished. This message is for you. Turn away from your sins and trust in your crucified Savior. That is where you will find salvation. Let us pray. Father, words are not enough to convey the how marvelous and how glorious is your Son. He, he took upon all the mockery and all the shame that that we deserve. He, he bore the, the agonizing punishment that led to his death, a, a death that should have been ours. He, he suffered the curse that, that was caused by us as he was forsaken by you. And he did all of this for your glory and out of a love for us. We're not worthy of his grace and yet we are so, so thankful that it has come our way. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to believe this message. Help us to turn away from our sins and put our trust in Jesus alone. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.